the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking, as he did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. Hey, hey there. Welcome to Catholic with a Meditative Mind. That's right. The Catholic Podcast where we strive to bring you meditative Catholicism for meditative Catholics. And this show used to be named Catholic with a Zen Mind. Which, keeping true to that, as I said I would, means from time to time we will go over aspects of Buddhism and Buddhist meditation. But we're not doing this to mix anything. This isn't a bar. And despite my appearance, I'm not a bartender. <laughs> we do this, though, to analyze various meditative practices and to see what they may offer, if anything, when compared in light to our own traditional church teachings. All that so that we can present you with the meditative side of Catholicism and keep you within Holy Mother Church. I'm your humble host, Adam Joseph Martin. Now, you have to excuse me if you're watching the YouTube video. I'm, I seem to be having some camera issues and my mouth is not tracking well with the recording, so it might look like it's a little choppy. So I do apologize. But uh, so before I run out of time to make these episodes that I've been working on here for the past few days, I'm working towards trying to get a few of these out as soon as possible. So expect me to be uploading one or two more episodes here within the next week in addition to this one. I really want to put together a few episodes or resources that during Lent I can present a few practices and some reflections that hopefully can help you prepare yourself for the coming celebration of the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. One on the stations, or way of the cross. Some more reflections on the practice of memento mori, which we've spoken about quite a few times here on this show. I'm toying with the idea of doing a few meditations on St. Joseph in the future, as well as a reading of a St. Joseph rosary as well. Now, I hope to not make these episodes as long as I have in the past, uh, the last one for St. Joseph being an exception because I wanted to present a good understanding of his example and why we dedicated this year and as well a month out of every year to him. 
and why it's beneficial for us to contemplate and meditate on his role in God's plan for the salvation of mankind and his example in conforming his will to that plan. For now, though, I want to focus on Lent. And in future episodes, I do plan to present some Lenten practices as well as an understanding of why exactly we do these practices to help you prepare for the coming season of Easter. Meditations, reflections, prayers, and practices focused on purifying the mind, body, and the soul. Now on this point, I am going to talk about Lent itself for the next few episodes. But, as I said in the intro, in keeping with the original roots of the show, I'm going to first talk about something I found highly interesting and was only recently made aware of. The period of time known to many Buddhists as Kao Fanza, or Buddhist Lent. That's right, Buddhists have their own Lenten period. It is extremely different than the practice of the Catholic Church's Lenten season. It has similarities, but overall, extremely different. Allow me to explain. From an article referring to the tradition in Laos. Now, I'll provide the links to any of the things I use here right now, if anyone is as intrigued as I was when I learned about this. Uh, keep in mind that when you go read these, they, they were written by a uh, citizen of Laos. So the English translation that they tried to type is, sometimes it's not, doesn't, it's not proper English, but you know, we don't hold them to that, obviously. <laughs> so Buddhist Lent is a period of three lunar months during the rainy season when monks are required to remain in one particular place. Monks and novices have to swear themselves to live in the same place. They can't stay in other places overnight. During this period, monks are practicing meditation more than usual. Every full moon day, monks have to gather in one temple to recite Fadimokka, or the 227 rules of monk. It's a lot of rules. Kalfanza Day is on the first day after the full moon of the eighth lunar month and marks the beginning of the three-month rainy season. The tradition of Buddhist Lent, or the annual three-month rains retreat, known in Laos as Fanza, Kao Fanza means to remain in one place during the rainy season. There are two words, Kao and Fanza. Kao denotes enter, Fanza represents a time of renewed spiritual vigor, and Kalfanza festival is a major Buddhism merit-making festival. The day before Kalfanza Day is also very important in Buddhism, as the day of the Triple Gems, which is the day the Buddha preached his first sermon to his five disciples. The sermon is known in English, at least as the wheels of life. The main sermon is to refrain sexual pleasure, mortification, and practice in the middle way, which is a term used in Buddhism that in its simplest definition means a balanced approach to life, presented alongside the Eightfold Path, which we have done uh, a, f a few episodes on, I believe, on this show, and uh, 
I just want to point out real quick that in one of my episodes, I, I came to the conclusion and said that the Eightfold Path holds a very dangerous, uh, I guess you could say, teaching for Catholics because it can institute the idea of relativism into it. And the Eightfold Path can, can trap a Catholic into justifying things with relativism that they should not be justifying. I just wanted to point that out real quick. So, the continuing on here in the article. The day is usually celebrated by merit-making, listening to a monk's sermon and joining a candlelight procession during the night. Monks should not venture out or spend the night in any other places except in cases of extreme emergency, and, even then, their time away must not exceed seven consecutive nights. There is also a story of monks traveling in this period and damaging a local's plantation. So this event reached back to the Buddha. He no longer allowed monks to wander to other places during the rainy season. They have to find a proper place or temple to stay, and this is a time for contemplation and meditation. The monk meditates more, studies more, and teaches more. For Buddhist, Fanza is also customarily the season for temporary ordinations to the monkhood. Young men enter for a time for spiritual training, to gain merit for themselves and their parents. It is believed that a man who has been a monk will lead their parents to heaven, because monk is a sign of purity and happiness. For this reason, most of them prefer to become a monk in this season. They have to spend most of their time learning and practicing and training themselves under the guidance of a venerable. According to the tradition of Laos, a boy should volunteer to stay at the temple to learn Dhamma, chant with the monks, and help work at the temple, such as clean the monastery area, wash dishes, and serve as a monk. It's important to note that different places have different traditions and customs. So like I said, that was written uh, by someone from Laos. Uh, so I'm going to read from another article very briefly, uh, and then we're going to get into Catholic Lent, the, the real reason we're here, right? Uh, so this is from theculturetrip.com. Here's some traditions associated with this time from Thailand. Many people visit temples across Thailand to offer large candles to monks. Thai people do this for one of two reasons. The first being that monks once used candles to study after dark. The second reason is that people believed that offering a candle would, in return, make their own future a bright one of strength and longevity. During this time, people will also offer large yellow robes to the monk. These three months are also a popular time for Thai boys and men to become ordained as monks, just like in Laos. Though many will not go on to live as monks, they go through this process to fulfill the expectations of their family. Like many other holidays in Thailand, no alcohol is served or sold during Wan Kao Fanza. Some Thais 
in order to show their commitment to Buddhism, will give up drinking entirely during this three-month period. Others will also abstain from tobacco or eating meat. That's pretty much all you need to know. It's a time for deep meditation uh, for Buddhist monks, celebrated by many Buddhists across not just Thailand or Laos, but in Buddhist communities the world over. What I find highly interesting, and why I wanted to talk about this, is the similarities in abstinence. Abstinence is something we do in our Lenten tradition. Uh, it, the whole season is marked, uh, I guess you could say prominently uh, marked by abstinence. So no alcohol is served or sold. Many Buddhists choose to give up drinking tobacco and in kind of a striking parallel to Catholicism, no meat. Granted, as I've mentioned before in previous episodes, we generally abstain from meat on Fridays in honor of Good Friday being the day that our Lord was crucified, traditionally seen to Catholics as a day of sorrow, penance, and fasting, which is why traditionally we are asked to abstain from meat all Fridays of the year, or as I was informed, that in the United States we have an indult, that if you are going to eat meat on Fridays, that you abstain from something else. So, let's get to the meat of the matter, eh? Eh? Man, forgive me for being an insufferable goofball that I, I just couldn't resist. <sighs> I'm going to read what I can off of Catholic Answers website, catholic.com. The following is essentially a giant copy and paste job into my script. So I apologize if this is long. I did take some out that I feel was irrelevant to my goal here, but it's important to know why we do what we do. And like previous episodes, I'll provide you with the link to read all of this on your own if you'd like. Lent. The Teutonic word Lent, which we employ to denote the 40 days fast preceding Easter, originally meant no more than the spring season. Still, it has been used from the Anglo-Saxon period to translate the more significant Latin term quadragesima, meaning the 40 days, or more literally, the 40th day. This in turn imitated the Greek name for Lent, tesserakost, a word formed on the anthology of Pentecost, which last was in use for the Jewish festival before New Testament times. This etymology, as we shall see, is of some little importance in explaining the early developments of the Easter fast. I'm going to break from my script and say that this is literally just a historical overview of Lent and its uh, development throughout the years. This is not specifically why we do what we do, but where what we do has come from. Uh, and just to show you how far back this tradition kind of goes, uh, and that, I thought this was a well-put-together article, so I'm going to stop trying to interject so much and just go ahead and bulldoze right through it till the end. And then I will, the next episode I upload will be uh, more of a development of the traditions of Lent that we have ourselves. So, the origin. Some of the fathers, as early as the 5th century, supported the view that this 40 days fast was of apostolic institution. For example, 
St. Leo exhorts his hearers to abstain that they may, quote, fulfill their fasts, the apostolic institution of the 40 days, end quote. But the best modern scholars are almost unanimous in rejecting this view. For in the existing remains of the first three centuries, we find both considerable diversity of practice regarding the fast before Easter, and also a gradual process of development in the matter of its duration. The passage of primary importance is one quoted by Eusebius from a letter of St. Irenaeus to Pope Victor in connection with the Easter controversy. There, Irenaeus says that there is not only a controversy about the time of keeping Easter, but also regarding the preliminary fast. For, he says, some think they ought to fast for one day, others for two days, and others even for several, while others reckon forty hours both of day and night to their fast." End quote. He also urges that this variety of usage is of ancient date, which implies that there could have been no apostolic tradition on the subject. Rufinus, who translated Eusebius into Latin towards the close of the 4th century, seems to have punctuated this passage as to make Irenaeus say that some people fasted for 40 days. Formerly, some difference of opinion existed as to the proper reading, but modern criticism pronounces strongly in favor of the text translated above. We may then fairly conclude that Irenaeus, about the year 190, knew nothing of any Easter fast of 40 days. The same inference must be drawn from the language of Tertullian, only a few years later. When writing as a Montanist, now I will interject here, I will stop my bulldozing through and interject here, I had the uh, the definition of what Mon Montanism is, uh, but I've I've lost it currently, and I'll pull it up at the end of the episode and read it for you guys. So if you can just put a little red flag in your head about Montanism, it uh, I will um, I will enlighten you all as to what Montanism is at the end of the episode. So when writing as a Montanist, Tertullian contrasts the very slender term of fasting observed by the Catholics with the longer but still restricted period of a fortnight, not the game, which was kept by the Montanists. No doubt, he was referring to fasting of a very strict kind. But there is no indication in his works, though he wrote an entire treatise, and often touches upon the subject elsewhere, that he was acquainted with any period of forty days consecrated to more or less continuous fasting. And there is the same silence observable in all the pre-Nicene fathers. Though many had occasion to mention such an apostolic institution, if it had existed. We may note, for example, that there is no mention of Lent in St. Dionysus of Alexandria, or in the Didascalia, I'm doing my best to pronounce these words for you guys. I'm sorry if I get them wrong here. Which Funk attributes to about the year 250. Yet both speak diffusely of the Pascal feast. Further, there seems much to suggest that the church in the apostolic age designed to commemorate 
the resurrection of Christ, not by an annual, but by a weekly celebration. If this be so, the Sunday liturgy constituted the weekly memorial of the resurrection, and the Friday fast that of the death of Christ. Such a theory offers a natural explanation to the wide divergence which we find existing in the latter part of the second century regarding both the proper time for keeping Easter and also the manner of the Paschal feast. Christians were at one regarding the weekly observance of the Sunday and the Friday, which was primitive, but the annual Easter festival was something superimposed by a process of natural development, and it was largely influenced by the conditions locally existing in the different churches of the East and West. Moreover, with the Easter festival, there seems also to have established itself a preliminary fast, not as yet anywhere exceeding a week in duration, but very severe in character, which commemorated the Passion, or, more generally, the days on which the bridegroom was taken away. Be this as it may, we find in the early years of the 4th century the first mention of the term Tessarakost. It occurs in the 5th canon of the Council of Nicaea, around AD 325, where there is only question of the proper time for celebrating a synod and it is conceivable that it may refer not to a period, but to a definite festival, basically the Feast of the Ascension, or the Purification, which Etheria calls Quadragesime, or Epiphania. But we have to remember that the older world, Pente Pentecost, from meaning the 50th day, had come to denote the whole of the period, which we should call Paschal time between Easter Sunday and Whit Sunday, which is Pentecost as we know it. In any case, it is certain from the festal letters of St. Athanasius that in 331 the saint enjoined upon his flock a period of forty days of fasting, preliminary to, but not inclusive of, the stricter fast of Holy Week, and secondly, that in 339 the same father, after having traveled to Rome and over the greater part of Europe, wrote in the strongest terms to urge this observance upon the people of Alexandria as one that was universally practiced, quote, to the end that while all the world is fasting, we who are in Egypt should not become a laughing stock as the only people who do not fast, but take our pleasure in those days, end quote. Although Funk formally maintained that a Lent of 40 days was not known in the West before the time of St. Ambrose, this is evidence which cannot be set aside. In determining this period of 40 days, the example of Moses, Elias, and Christ must have exercised a predominant influence, but it is also possible that the fact was borne in mind that Christ lay 40 hours in the tomb. On the other hand, just as Pentecost, the 50 days, was a period during which Christians were joyous and prayed standing, though they were not always engaged in such prayer, so the Quadragesima, or the 40 days, was originally a period marked by fasting, 
but not necessarily a period in which the faithful fasted every day. Still, this principle was differently understood in different localities, and great divergences of practice were the result. In Rome, in the 5th century, Lent lasted six weeks. But according to the historian Socrates, there were only three weeks of actual fasting, exclusive even then of the Saturday and Sunday, and, if Duchenne's view may be trusted, these weeks were not continuous, but were the first, the fourth, and the sixth of these series, being connected with the ordinations. Possibly, however, these three weeks had to do with the, quote, scrutinies preparatory to baptism. For by some authorities, the duty of fasting along with the candidate for baptism is put forward as the chief influence at work in the development of the 40 days. But throughout the Orient, generally, with some few exceptions, the same arrangement prevailed as St. Athanasius as his festal letters show us to have obtained in Alexandria. Namely, the six weeks of Lent were only preparatory to a fast of exceptional severity maintained during Holy Week. This enjoined by the apostolic constitutions and presupposed by St. John Chrysostom, but the number 40, having once established itself, produced other modifications. It seemed to many necessary that there should not only be fasting during 40 days, but 40 actual fasting days. Thus we find Etheria in her Peregrinatio speaking of a Lent of eight weeks, and all observed at Jerusalem, which, remembering that both the Saturday and Sunday of ordinary weeks were exempt, gives five times eight. 40 days for fasting. On the other hand, in many localities, people were content to observe no more than a six weeks period, sometimes as at Milan, fasting only five days in the week after the oriental fashion of Ambrose. In the time of Gregory the Great, around 590 to 604, there were apparently at Rome six weeks of six days each, making 36 fast days in all, which St. Gregory, who is followed therein by many medieval writers, describes as a spiritual tithing of the year, 36 days being approximately the tenth part of 365. At a later date, the wish to realize the exact number of 40 days led to the practice of beginning Lent upon our present Ash Wednesday. But the Church of Milan, even to this day, adheres to the more primitive arrangement, which still betrays itself in the Roman Missal, when the priest in the, sec the secret of the Mass on the first Sunday of Lent speaks of sacrificium quadrigissimalis Initi. I totally just butchered that. I'm, I know it, and <laughs> I do apologize. Uh, or the sacrifice of the opening of Lent. Now, the reason I went like this is because I, I honestly have never heard it put as the secret of the Mass. I'm used to it hearing, used to hearing it as the sacrifice of the Mass. So, but yeah, so that's a very long and somewhat complicated history of our season of Lent as presented on Catholic Answers website. Again, 
I'll provide you the link so you can all go and look into this yourself. Like I said, it, 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 it would be long, and I even omitted quite a bit. So if you want to learn more than I can really present here right now, go check it out. Now, I plan to continue and to give you all the developments of our current fasting within Lent. However, in an effort to not take up too much time, I will make that a separate episode on the history of Lent for Catholics pertaining specifically to fasting, in which I will provide that history and the development. So it occurred to me, um, after I finished recording the episode, that I forgot to give you all that definition of Montanism. And as I said, I'm having camera issues, so if you're watching the video, I probably look pretty choppy right now. Uh, <laughs> um, Montanism, a heretical movement in the second century which professed belief in a new church of the spirit. Its members considered themselves specially gifted by the Holy Spirit as prophets of Christ's second coming. The substance of their doctrine was that the Holy Spirit was now supplementing the revelation of Christ with consequent displacement of the bishops and even the Pope. The new, quote, outpouring of the Spirit traveled all over the Catholic world and won over the great Tertullian, 160-220. Montanism was first condemned by a series of Asiatic synods and also, after some hesitation, by Pope Zephyrinus about A.D. 202. Now, in addition to Montanism, I did leave something out about the Eightfold Path. Uh, another dangerous aspect of the Eightfold Path for Catholics is the idea of reincarnation. So, as far as the Eightfold, Eightfold Path goes, in one of my previous episodes, I did talk about how if you want to look at the Eightfold Path, you can use the Beatitudes to answer the questions that the Eightfold Path asks. Um, my advice is to ignore that advice, <laughs> my own advice, and just not even mess with the Eightfold Path due to the traps of relativism and reincarnation. Uh, both of these can pull Catholics in and can distort their thinking to an extent. Uh, just stick with the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are all you need as far as that goes. So for now, I'm going to leave you all with that very lengthy and long-winded history of how the season of Lent came about. So until we discuss fasting itself, pray hard. Get them beads up, pray that rosary every day as requested by Our Lady, like at her apparitions, like that of Fatima. Stay humble. God bless.
The Prayer for Humility Lord God, we pray to you with all our hearts and soul that in your mercy you may deliver us from pride and grant us the inestimable gift of humility that we may not follow the evil spirits in their pride to destruction but Christ the divine master of humility to sanctification may God in his goodness grant us this now and forever amen Hey, hey there, listeners. Are you enjoying the show? Do you want more content? If there was a way you could contribute financially to the show, might that interest you? Well, we've been working on that, and for now, we've got a way you can support the podcast. It's to buy CBD products from our affiliate link, which we'll put in the show notes. CTFO, that's Changing the Future Outcome. CTFO CBD is the fastest growing CBD company. Get excellent pricing on top quality organic hemp CBD products and support the podcast at the same time. According to the Harvard Health blog, CBD may help treat certain forms of childhood epilepsy, anxiety, insomnia, chronic pain, arthritis, and may help to inhibit inflammatory and neuropathic pain. All 50 states have laws legalizing CBD with varying degrees of restriction, so check your local laws. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. Hey friends, it's Amanda. And if you love coffee as much as I do, and you're trying to manage your weight, I've got great news for you. There is a first-to-the-market coffee that tastes amazing and can help you with your weight loss goals. Isn't that crazy? It's a French roast coffee, only 10 calories, and it will help keep you full for hours. It also has nootropics to boost your brain and improve your focus, and it is made from five plant-based sources of caffeine. I would love to give you more information. These results will blow you away. For more information, you can find me on Facebook or Instagram. My name is Amanda Wurtz, W-U-E-R-T-Z. Thanks, guys. God bless.